we need a shared vision of what basic software supply chain transparency looks like. Hi, and welcome to Cyber Reason's Malicious Life, B-Sides. I'm Ren Lev. Winston Churchill, who led Britain in World War II, is credited with saying, never let a good crisis go to waste. I'm pretty sure he wasn't talking about cybersecurity. But you know, great insights into human behavior have a tendency to be relevant across a wide range of different domains. Software Bill of Materials, or SBOM for short, is an idea that has been floating around for quite a few years. It is inspired by or derived from an established practice in the field of manufacturing, one which was old news even back in the early 2000s, when I was an electronics engineer. In hardware, a bill of materials is a list of all the different components and items, from capacitors and resistors to silicon chips, included in a product. A software bill of materials is a very similar idea, just for the software side of a system. It is a list, or a nested inventory, of all open-source and third-party software components present in a codebase. It lists all the versions of these software components, their patch status, and even their licenses. This way, when a new version of a software component is released, or a new vulnerability is discovered in some library, developers can easily identify which of their code bases are affected. I think all of us can intuitively grasp how useful such a list could be. A typical electronic board has hundreds, if not thousands, of components, But when a vendor announced a recall of a leaky capacitor or a new version of some chip, all I had to do was a simple search in my Excel files to see which of my projects used that capacitor or chip. Similarly, a big software project can include a large number of third-party libraries, and to make matters worse, each of these libraries can depend upon its own variety of other libraries, and so on and so on. An S-bomb can really make life easier for developers. Yet, for some reason, I've never heard of S-bombs until recently. There was an attempt in 2014 to pass a law that requires government agencies to obtain S-bombs for any new products they purchase, but this legislation got nowhere which is a shame, because such laws, even if pertaining to government agencies only, have a tendency to drive far-reaching changes in the commercial world as well. But the past two years have been a time of crisis for cybersecurity. The infamous SolarWinds attack, which affected some 18,000 government and commercial organizations, was discovered in December of 2020. Six months later, we got the Colonial Pipeline ransom attack, and last December, researchers from Alibaba Cloud uncovered the Log4j vulnerability, one of the biggest, if not the biggest, vulnerability in recent history. Apparently, the Biden administration listened to Churchill's advice from 80 years ago 
and in May 2021, following the SolarWinds and Colonial Pipeline attacks, the president signed a new executive order asking the National Telecommunications and Information Administration Agency to publish guidelines about S-bombs and forcing all government agencies to require S-bombs from their subcontractors. It is this executive order that finally brought this important idea of S-bombs to my attention, and now yours. Nate Nelson, our senior producer, spoke with two S-bomb experts. Alan Friedman, who leads the S-bomb efforts at CISA, the US government's cybersecurity and infrastructure security agency, and Chris Blask, vice president of strategy at Cybeats, which provides supply chain protection services, and inventor of one of the early firewalls back in the 90s. Enjoy the interview. Tell me about the state of cybersecurity before S-bombs, so the kinds of problems that we were repeatedly facing. We don't have to imagine what life is like without S-bomb and what it would be like. Um, Last December, uh, a lot of us, including most of your audience, I imagine, had a very busy uh, holiday season as we all had to scramble uh, to figure out where we were affected by Log4J. And there are a handful of organizations that had already implemented some measure of transparency to their supply chain that was thorough using SBOM or related technology. And they were able to say, yeah, that's, this is, this is, let's run some scans. Let's do some basic analysis of the data that we have, figure out where was important and what wasn't. And everyone else actually had to do a lot of manual work, build some custom tools, uh, yell at their suppliers to get some information, wait for CISA's massive GitHub repository of every piece of software on the planet to update. And it was, uh, it was a real pain. So for me, it was you know, like a lot of things. It, it develops over time, but it was one particular event, a Cyber Senate event uh, in London in, I think, October 2018. And we had a panel with, uh, you know, four of the you know, top folks, you know, uh, ISA chairs and so forth. And uh, um, somebody asked, you know, we started the topic of, of supply chain. And just in that conversation, you know, looking at it and saying, we, we don't have anything, you know, nothing whatsoever on supply chain. And then in uh, early 2019, uh, February, with Tim Roxy in Guyana, a little uh, a second world country that suddenly ran into $100 billion worth of oil and had their national you know, infrastructure hacked. And spending a week walking around looking at that and having to say to them that, you know, there is no way. I or anyone can tell you or you can find out what is inside any of this equipment with all these, you know, foreign logos on it in your infrastructure. In the healthcare sector, especially after the uh, WannaCry virus exposed the fact that many people just had no idea what was running these medical devices that were often internet enabled or internet connected. Uh, And so they just simply didn't know, hey, is the blinking box that's keeping grandma alive uh, going to be susceptible to a worm? So the FDA said, hey, maybe we're going to start regulating this. Meanwhile, DOD, similar concerns about supply chain, especially for uh, software that came from potential foreign influences or adversarial influences. The automotive sector has always been interested in supply chain. And the real risk was that each community would develop their own solution, their own standards, when in fact, we all use the same software. And so the first step was really to say, we need a shared vision of what basic software supply chain transparency looks like, built in a way that it can enable a huge range of use cases. So that leads me perfectly into the question. Either of you are perfectly capable of answering it. What is SBOM? 
Alan, the floor is yours. <laughs> uh, the basics of an SBOM are quite simple. It's the dependency graph of software in a way that you can identify what's in the supply chain. The analogy that we always use that's imperfect but still useful is a list of ingredients, and it's nested. So, right, my cookie contains chocolate. Chocolate, in turn, contains cocoa solids. Uh, and similarly, software is not hewn out of alabaster marble by tonsured monks on Greek islands. We know that it's assembled, and each of those sub-assemblies is assembled. So an SBOM is just the dependency graph with enough data to take information about my software components and map that to other sources of information that I care about. Now, there may be a lot of data that we want beyond that basics. Uh, so, for example, some people care about licensing. Uh, some people want to put vulnerability data in the SBOM, and we can talk about that because there are some risks there. Uh, but at its core, the basic SBOM is just what are my dependencies, what are their dependencies, and all the way down. Okay, so basically, it's demonstrating what software is in what software for the sake of supply chain security. While there are lots of use cases that are not explicitly around supply chain, for example, are there known vulnerabilities in my software? The data reflects the long supply chain that leads that that builds all modern technology today. Um, you know, we're all in the supply chain. Most of us are in the middle. So we take things from our upstream people, and we ultimately pass them downstream to further customers or users. And so it's just good cyber hygiene to keep a track of all of this. What, what I think an SBOM is, is an inevitability about, about software inventory that is just time, right? In the same way with major events like firewalls, right? They existed before the big firewall wave, but you know you need to look at these things and say, why would I not want to not have this? Why would I like to not have a bound, defined boundary between me and this internet thing? And SIM network monitoring, why would I like to not know what's going on on my network? Um, you know, threat intelligence, why would I like to not know what's happening to other people? And to this one, you know, why would I like to not know what's inside my software? So now that we, you know, SBOM is getting formalized and we're getting to this stage, that's the real question. You know, why on earth would you want to not know these things? So how common are SBOMs now? What percentage of vendors are already implementing them? You know, if you said 1% right now, that's probably optimistic, right? But, you know, it's, it's not about adopting something new. You know, people of the whole, anybody who knows what CICD pipeline means understands a lot of the steps already. And organizations are going through this process with or without, you know, a SBOM standard or a presidential executive order because they spend a lot of money, you know, writing and using code and they want to know where it is. And they want to spend less money writing it, managing it and trying to figure out where it went. You know, by relative terms, it will still take, you know, quite a number of years, you know, to get to 100%. I'll add that the administration has started to prioritize a better visibility into the open source community. Now, again, that's a massive ecosystem, uh, but we're working with folks like the Open Source Security Foundation to uh, think about how do we push this metadata into the supply chain. Once that data is in place, it'll be much easier for organizations to sort of pick it up and pull it in, building this data recursively, rather than each organization having to do the basics. You know, when you think of the scale, you know, and and, uh, and dynamism of this, you know, there is a, there's an artificial intelligence bill of material working group right now going through this. And I think it's a good, you know, thought uh, exercise because we're moving into a world where a lot of code is going to be created and compiled on the fly for particular purposes. 
So, but we're thinking about the old world where I have four software releases a year. So that's four S bombs when it's really, you know, 4,000 a second or whatever. Even if we agree that SBOM is a good thing, say I'm a vendor and I've never done something like this before, um, what is the cost, the challenge involved in creating an SBOM? Is it simple or could it be like a big investment with, in terms of time and money that actually not everybody has the immediate resources for? So for a lot of organizations, this is going to be a one-time cost, uh, either to get them basic metadata in place or as Chris mentioned starting to use some of the modern software development tooling and processes, which is something that they probably want to shift towards anyway. Right. I'll take this one from, you know, with my commercial hat on, right. You know, so there's, there's a non-zero cost that's related to though, as I, you know, uh, keep repeating in this, the things you're doing already. Right. And, you know, going forward, I see really quickly one of these competitive things where it's the world is changing. You know, you're not going to be, you know, carving software and clay tablets by, by hand anymore. It's going to be integrated with in-toto attestations about custody of who's touching us, the code, you know, automatic SBOM generation of various places for various purposes, and so on and so forth. And if you don't do that, you can do it by hand, and you'll have, you know, higher costs and, you know, slower customer responses, and your competitors won't. So I think any, any actual speed bump startup cost is pretty well absorbed real short term and just being more efficient in the first place. And there are a couple of ways that we can also think about this. One of them is just to sort of examine the status quo. What do you mean you don't know what you're selling your customers? And they'll say, well, okay, maybe we have some ability to understand what's in our product. Okay, well, then let's talk about how do we automate that and how do we scale that? The best strategy for organizations to avoid becoming a victim of ransomware is to prevent the attack from being successful in the first place. Cyber Reason remains undefeated in the fight against ransomware because it moved beyond alerting to deliver an operation-centric approach that detects and prevents ransomware attacks at the earliest stages of initial ingress and lateral movement. The Cyber Reason predictive response capability disrupts ransomware attacks prior to data exfiltration and long before the ransomware payload can be delivered. Visit cyberreason.com to learn more about predictive ransomware protection and how your organization can realize both increased efficiency and efficacy through an operation-centric approach to security operations. The other thing that I think is useful is a lot of security costs work against the scale of small businesses and startups, right? Just you have to get a fixed certification cost. It's much easier for the big guys. It's much more expensive for the small guys. SBOM is one of those fun areas where the smaller and newer you are, the easier it is to do this because the greater the chance that you'll be able to slot in existing tools in often open source tools. Whereas the, a lot of the pain that we've been hearing about is from these very large organizations with, you know, dozens or hundreds of different product families, each of which is run separately. Uh, and all of a sudden, these cylinders of excellence, they have to figure out how to talk across. Them. So then why would bigger organizations go through all the trouble? The good news is these are organizations that also realize the benefits of tracking this data. So we've talked to one um, 
industrial control system giant who said, hey, if we had SBOM today, it would save us thousands of hours a year. Uh, because whenever a new vulnerability comes out, we need to quickly and easily see whether or not we're affected. How do we communicate that to our customers? And the savings from doing that at scale is going to be huge. As two people who are invested in this, I imagine that you guys are working with or talking with companies that are, are dealing with SBOMs maybe for the first time. Um, how often would you say this is uh, a surprise and a challenge? Like how often do vendors really not know what they're selling until they do something like this? Yeah, having worn a lot of vendor hats in you know, over 30 years, it was not possible to know what was in your software until now. I mean, yes, you could have done it, but again, it's not about a matter of security, it's a matter of economics. You know, whether I, you know, any of the small companies or major, you know, global corporations I've been with, if we had taken the time 10 years ago and 20 years ago to write down, you know, hire a bunch of people, you know, get more people, more programmers, more engineers to document every single step and every, you know, open source library included, we could have done that. Our cost of our product would have been double our competitors. So it just hasn't been possible to, to get there. We love to pick on the vendors, but, it, you know, Vendors are made of individuals with jobs, and if you can't stay in business, you can't do the right thing. We're at this point now where, frankly, you can do the right thing from a security perspective, but more importantly, you know, knowing where you're putting your code and being able to find it, you know, whether it's a security incident or anything else, is just more efficient. Uh, a couple of logistical questions. When and for whom are SBOMs legally required versus just encouraged? So I don't want to speak too much to ongoing regulatory discussions that I, you know, can't speak for other parts of the U.S. government. Uh, but the executive order 14028, which came out uh, late last spring, uh, officially called for every agency that buys things. Hint, U.S. government buys a lot of things. Uh, the software they buy is need to come with a bunch of basic security properties including you need to have an SBOM. And, you know, right now we're sort of finalizing what the actual enforcement of that looks like, but all the basic uh, discussion on what you need to do, including when we say something's an SBOM, what does the U.S. government mean? That work has been completed. It's the, the old paradigm of if we don't do it ourselves, the adults are going to show up someday and force us to. So, you know, I would expect, you know, to see regulations in various sectors that are, you know, nation critical here in the US, in other countries as well. They won't always be the same sectors. But, you know, in, if the market can't regulate itself at some point, the, the state will. And, and Chris alluded to an important thing that we occasionally forget here in the United States, which is there are actually at least four other countries in the world, maybe even more. And so a lot of the work that we're trying to do here at CISA is to help coordinate with those, make sure that one aware of this idea they have buy-in for it. Uh, they can engage on their terms with it. Uh, but also at the same time, we want to make sure that, you know, we're all moving in the same direction and that no one is trying to radically reinvent things in a different way. Uh, you know, we don't want to fork this effort. And you can spell that with an R or with a U, depending on your preferences. Well, and I, you know, I'll forecast as well. I don't expect the regulations in this area to be too high. You know, we, we have enterprise benefits involved. You know, when there's some joint good we have to achieve that's actually really going to cost people, you know, that's where you have regulations. Is there any evidence yet that S-bombs are already starting to improve things? Oh, yeah. 
Yes. And, you know, there's, you look around, you know, the, the sectors, OT has been, you know, overrepresented because of all the, the usual reasons. And of the OT vendors involved, when Log4j hit, you know, the Stuxnet of supply chain, you see that the cost involved of, you know, you could just see it optically. To be clear, I don't know the, I don't think I know. Uh, anyways, I don't know everybody's, uh, you know, actual man hours and, and money spent in response. But the companies that were involved in Allen's groups, you know, that had gone part of the way down the road uh, on SBOM before the executive order, they recovered from that a lot faster. Lots, a lot faster, saved a lot of money and a lot of time. Let's, let's take um, right, the company SolarWinds, famously was attacked uh, along with a few others, which we disclosed in December of 2020. That organization has done some great work rethinking their entire software development and employment process, uh, thinking of it as a long, multi-step process, trying to understand the risks of each step and figuring out how to secure them. SBOM is such a key part of that, right? We need to track our dependencies, but it is not the only part of it, right? It is a necessary but not sufficient step uh, to really understand what we need to do. So people say, hey, would SBOM have uh, allowed us to detect or prevent the attack against SolarWinds? No. Uh, we want to be very clear, it wouldn't have had that impact. But all of the things we know we need to do start with visibility into our supply chain. Well, that's most of what I felt I needed to ask. Is there anything else that you two would like to leave listeners with? Two points I have is one, SBOM management is fascinating. You know, working at Cybeats and seeing, you know, vendors actually taking all this data and starting to do things with it and connecting it out. Um, as Alan knows, don't get me started. But, uh, you know, once we start thinking past individual SBOMs and start thinking about the entire supply chain, we get to my second point. You know, we don't really talk about supply chain. We talk about transparency because that's what this is about. And I believe fundamentally, I believe professionally, I believe philosophically that, it, you know, business is better with less overhead, you know, and transparency saves time, increases customer satisfaction, employee retention, everything. So this little thing we're doing inside, you know, for all the grand landscape I'm, I'm trying to describe here, the fascinating thing about SBOM is it's forcing us as individuals and organizations to say, oh, I know I already have a contract and I'm already doing the thing, but do I really want to write that down? And once you find that you do, and Alan knows, you've know, seen this, you know, case by case, as vendors go through this process, they say, oh, that wasn't so bad. And, you know, it turns out, you know, my customers are happy with me. Life is better. Would love to share a little bit about what's left to be done, because I don't want to imply that this is a solved problem. Uh, the state of SBOM today is there's absolutely no reason that organizations can't start producing SBOMs from their software using commercial or open source tools. They should be asking for SBOMs from their suppliers. They should be getting to think about what they could do with SBOMs when they have them. Uh, but there's still some important work to be done. And CISA is going to be playing an active role in facilitating that community-led effort. Uh, so we had a SBOM-arama to talk about what the future of SBOM should be like in December. Four or 500 people participating virtually from around the world. We just wrapped up some listening sessions with a couple hundred people on specific topics, and we're about to launch uh, some work streams that are going to be community-led, facilitated by the government, but really driven by experts in the community. And just very quickly, the four topics that we're trying to identify or that we've identified are, one, what does SBOM mean for cloud and SaaS? A lot of our discussions are things like ICS, medical devices, automotive, where um, it's on my network, I need to know what's in it. 
But even those technologies now have online application side of it. And very few of us would say that the future of software is all on-prem. So we need to be able to tell better stories and think about what SBOM implementation looks like in those domains. The second is on tooling and implementation. How do we make sure that there's interoperability and scale? Because that is going to be key for having a thriving ecosystem. The third one is going to be on how do we move SBOM data around? Uh, this isn't unique to SBOM data. We need to have better stories for all the software supply chain data that we need. What's going to be centralized? What's going to be decentralized? What should be public? What needs to be access controlled? Uh, and be able to tell the stories and ideally pilot some technology that can scale. And then the last piece is on the, the softer skill side, but is perhaps the most important, which is um, what are the on-ramps for adoption? How do we make it easier and cheaper for organizations to make progress in understanding what's in their supply chain? How do we help the scale? And how do we track all of the different efforts that are moving this direction around the world? So any of your listeners are interested, more than happy to welcome them into the group. Uh, you can reach out to us, forgive the plug, sisa.gov slash SBOM, or send us a note at sbom at sisa.dhs.gov. Oh my God. Oh my God. Oh my God. CK Music, 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 Music.